Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you as we begin our brand new series, Sustained. Tonight we're thinking about Psalm 3 and where David turns as he faces a situation that is almost unfathomable. His own son has overthrown his kingdom and is trying to take over and ultimately trying to kill him. And how do you process when everything comes crashing down? Well, David writes Psalm 3 to process and to to then bless us with that processing as God uses that psalm to help us to think about how do we live in the current moment, in a moment that's very imperfect and broken. In our own lives, we may not have a son trying to overthrow our kingdom. We probably don't have a kingdom either. But we do have our own challenges, our own questions about how to make sense of life. And that's what Psalm 3 helps us with. So let's come before our God, ask for his guidance, and then we'll dig right in. Let's pray. Lord, how could we even begin to ask you for help? We aren't worthy. And yet you, O Lord, are good and merciful and trustworthy and true. Lord, as we meditate on this psalm, would you help us to be reminded of who you are? That though we could never ask you for for anything, you give us your love and your mercy, your steadfast goodness and kindness every single day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It takes a long time to build a structure. We saw lots of structures as the the opening video played tonight. Bridges being built, highways being built, and it takes a long time for those those amazing engineering feats to be accomplished. Sometimes even not terribly amazing engineering feats. There's some lane expansions and stuff happening around here, and it feels like it's taking forever. And you wonder, why is it taking so long? And then even once we have a structure to depend on, sometimes something comes in and slows us down, like those llamas crossing the road. They, something that just brings us to a halt. We, we find ourselves forgetting that we're even on this amazing feat of engineering because all we're thinking about is, well, I can't move forward. There's something in my path. How do we make sense of those times that we're, we're paused? How do we make sense of those times that we're seeing structures out there being built, but we can't u- utilize them yet? And we're trying to think, what in the world's going on? Well, in a sense, that's where David is in this point in his life and in many points of his life. Because David oftentimes knows what God's doing in a big picture sense. But in the moment, it looks like he's just paused, that everything is paused, that everything is going in a direction where, despite these wonderful engineered structural promises of God, he can't actually benefit from them. Maybe you feel that way too tonight. Maybe you feel like, I can read these wonderful promises that I find in the Word of God, and yet I don't feel like I can live in them at the moment. It feels like God's building a bridge over there for some future generation, but not for me because it's not happening right now. David could have said that, but that's not where David goes. And as we look at where David goes, it guides us to where we can go to. So let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 3, verse 1. David writes, O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me. Notice what what David says here in this first verse. He says, How many are my foes, many are rising against me. 
It could just be simple poetic license that he's saying the same thing twice in two different ways. That's a very common thing in Hebrew poetry. But it's also thought that perhaps here he's suggesting even more than that, he's building. Sometimes this sort of poetic stru structure builds, and so it seems like he's saying on the one hand, look at all these people who are opposing me. Now David had Absalom who, on the one hand, he, he wanted to be reconciled with his son that he'd been estranged from. He wanted to make things right, and yet Absalom had used David's desire to make things right to then overthrow his, his reign and to try to take over the country. But then he also had his friends and trusted advisors and citizens who had decided to, to follow Absalom instead of himself. How many are my foes? That's where David starts. But, but notice what he says in that second part there. Many are rising against me. David's looking in, and not only are there many who are opposed to him, he sees the tides going against him. It looks like more and more people are rising up. Now let's keep in mind here, we're talking about King David, the, the man after God's own heart, the, the man who had received a promise of a kingdom that would, would reign over God's people forever. This doesn't sound like he's getting to reign forever. It doesn't sound like things are going all that well. How do we make sense of that? How did David make sense of it? Isn't the faithful life supposed to go a bit more smoothly than that? Shouldn't it be heading in a direction where things are coming together because God's working in our lives? And, and if God intends for David to, to reign as king, if God intends for us to live in his blessing, shouldn't it be that we actually feel like we're being blessed in the moment? It's often where we end up. And, and it, it's made worse by the fact that we have so many out there who preach as though the Christian life is an easy thing, that everything's going to go smoothly. And and so when it doesn't, we even if we have doubts about that sort of preaching, we still have that creep into our minds. Well, maybe God doesn't really love me. Maybe God isn't really with me. Maybe God's promises don't really apply to me because how many are my foes? Everything is coming apart in my life. I, I've lost my job. I, I've, I, I've, not, I've been struggling with my health. Everything seems to be coming apart. What are we supposed to do? Well, we learn something here, and, and that's that we should turn to the Lord in those moments. That's what David does. David's fleeing his own son who wants to, to take his throne and kill him. And what does David do? He starts with, O Lord. Yes, how many are my foes? But who is he talking to? Whom is it that he expects to be able to answer his questions? He expects God to. He has that relationship with the Lord, and he knows that's where he's going to turn. And as one commentator, I think, pointed out very astutely on this, we, we may know this in the back of our heads, and yet we can often lose it. That word Lord in the lower, in the small uppercase letters that we often have in our English Bible, that's God's name. And so it's not that David is coming to some formal Lord as he's trying to figure out what in the world's going on. He addresses God by name, by the very name Yahweh that God has given to his people. Uh, this is who I am. This is who you can call me by. And so the first thing we see here is David coming to someone that he knows the name of, someone he has a relationship with. And in that, maybe here, as much as it feels more formal, Maybe in a way, it's sort of like the Lord's Prayer we started to talk about in last night's sermon. Just a little bit. There's a relationship here. 
David's coming to someone he knows. He's he's presenting these these problems that he has those opposing him, and more and more people are opposing him. But he's presenting these problems to someone who knows him, someone he trusts. He doesn't assume the fact that that things are going wrong means that he can't approach the Lord. Neither should we. That's not what the Bible promises about the the Christian life. Later on, the author of Hebrews writes of the great heroes of the faith. And as he sums it up, he says, Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. That doesn't sound like what we often hear preachers talking about is what the Christian life looks like. And if you've heard someone say that the life is going to that you live if you follow Jesus is going to be an easy life, the life that you live is going to be a life full of of financial blessings or health blessings or relationship blessings or or status blessings or or whatever kind of blessings, we're not really dealing with these parts of scripture. Because the blessing we receive, there is a real blessing in the Christian life, but it's not all those things that the earth counts as blessings. It's the relationship that we can actually approach the God of the universe and call him by name. That's what David is hanging on to here. The the sign of the faithful life is often not the support that we hear it is. It's the opposition that it actually is. And then the solution is, where am I going to turn? The solution is to turn to God. Follow David and that we follow those great heroes of the faith that the author of Hebrews lists out. Read Hebrews 11 if you're feeling discouraged. Hear about these faithful witnesses that testified to God's goodness and yet oftentimes testified to God's goodness in the midst of suffering. Now, Satan's going to use that. And often we see that because those who oppose us, those who who think it's silly that we're following Jesus, are going to point out how things aren't going very well. We see that in verse 2. David goes on, Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. They look at David and say, well, if if this is what it looks like to be King David, the king who who proclaims that he is serving the Lord, the, the king who allegedly was appointed by the Lord, if this is what it looks like to, to be in, in fellowship with God, then either there isn't a God or David doesn't actually have that salvation he has said he has in that God. Things are going bad. Is, has God abandoned him? Is God weak? Is, are there maybe other gods or, or other sources of, of success in the world that should be chased after instead? Because whatever David's doing doesn't seem to be working. And we often look at the, the momentary evidence as a sign of our spiritual health health, and the, the truth of what it is that we confess. And Scripture says that's not what we should do. Job's friends did that. They they looked at Job as he suffered, even though he was the most righteous man on earth at that moment, And he's but he's suffering. And they said, well, clearly, Job, you have a lot of unconfessed sin you need to deal with. Ultimately, the Lord makes it very clear that his friends don't know what they're talking about. But Job has to wait patiently. David has to wait wait patiently. The, The great cloud of witnesses, those that the author of Hebrews writes about, they needed to wait patiently, patiently to see what God 
was going to do. Oftentimes, the greatest discoveries, the greatest things that we can achieve require a lot of waiting. I was reading about the, the Mesha Steely. It's a, a tablet from the approximate time of King David that is thought to speak about King David. And this was a, a really notable discovery when it was found because the, the steely, the stone tablet was the only thing that's been found at the time. And I believe one of the, still one of the few, I think there's been a few other items found since then, but, but one of the few things that can be found that is speaking of David and his reign outside of the Bible. And because there aren't a lot of things documenting David's reign outside of the Bible, some of the, the skeptics who, who question the Bible, the sort of people that say, well, you think you have salvation in the Lord, those sorts of people will look at the archaeological evidence and so on and say, well, maybe David didn't really exist. And so they looked at the steely that actually referred to David, in, and it was written by a different people, by someone under a different king, so there was no reason to put David's name in there if he wasn't really reigning over Israel. The, they looked at it and said, well, maybe it doesn't really say David. And this, the steely was damaged. You can see it here. Here's part of it, but you can also see some chips in it. It was damaged. And so the part that spoke of David, it looked like it was about David, and yet there were questions. Thankfully, something really interesting happened with that steely. When they first discovered it, before the, the greatest amount of damage was ironically inflicted on it, they they did a paper mache molding of it and then put it in a museum. It was damaged at some point, but they had this paper mache mold of it and they also had the original steely. And, and they looked at it and they tried to look at it in different lights to see if they could discern for sure whether it said David on it, but it took centuries. It took until our latest and greatest computer technology when they were able to digitize the actual stone tablet overlay it with that paper mache that was also digitized and fit it together and then project computer generated light on it to show it actually does testify to King David and his reign. What a neat thing. Here, here's something that says all that long waiting to see if this, this object outside of scripture speaks to the truth of scripture. All that waiting came to fruition. All the work that scholars over decades put into that research has come to fruition. But in the moment, I'm sure there were plenty of people that were scoffing at those that were that were looking at it at a given moment, trying to see if it said anything about David. Why are you looking into that King David? You know the Bible just has a bunch of fairy tales in it. What do we see time and again? God comes through. It doesn't come maybe in the moment. There were believing scholars that were probably thinking, if only God would, would reveal this in the moment so I could show the truth of his word, and yet it took waiting. But God reveals God reveals himself in his salvation, too. And that's what David's confident in. He approaches the Lord, even though everything's going wrong, even though his promises don't seem to be coming to fruition in the moment, because he says, I know, Lord, you are true. And so I'm going to come with you even when this doesn't make sense. I love what Derek Kidner says. He says, we can reflect that our troubles are nothing besides David's. And that's certainly true. Most of us aren't having our kingdom overthrown. Most of us don't have a, a child trying to kill us. But listen to what Kidner says as he goes on. He says, not only can we reflect that our troubles are nothing besides David's. Listen to this. And David's expectations are nothing besides ours. 
So what do we expect? David expects that the Lord is going to hear him. David expects his salvation is in the Lord. And we do too. And we have a clearer expectation because we know that Jesus went and took our sins for us, that he went to the cross, the ultimate suffering for us. David may have a greater problem than us. David might be one of the exemplars, the heroes of the faith in the Bible, someone who in many ways, as fallen as he was, also exhibited righteousness and a beauty of of his love towards the Lord that we might struggle to ever even approach. But he comes to the Lord, and so does his greater descendant, Jesus. Jesus came to his heavenly Father and trusted in him even when everything seemed to be going completely wrong as he was on the cross. And the scoffers looked upon that cross and said, watch his God save him now. See if he can come off that cross. They scoffed just as those who watched David scoffed at him. But the greater David, Jesus, overcame that. It took patience. It, it took Jesus' followers being patient as he actually died on that cross and was buried and yet triumphed over death. Just as David had to have patience here as he waited to see what God was going to do. But as as we look to what God has done, we can have confidence in what God will do. That's what David does. He, He knows God. He knows his history with the Lord. And so he can come before him in this not making sense moment and say, Lord, here's what's not making sense. Help me. The Son of God on the cross could come before his heavenly Father and say, I commend my soul into your hands because I am trusting in you. And because we've seen these examples, the examples of faithful human beings throughout history that God has called, and ultimately the faithful human being, God incarnate in the flesh, doing the same. In our uncertain, messed up moments, we too can trust in the Lord and know that he will make good on those uncertainties. He will make good on them. He will overcome them. It doesn't mean everything will go well in the moment. It doesn't mean if you go through this momentary crisis, you'll get a job that's twice as good as the one that you just lost, or your health will be restored on this earth to twice what it was before you believed in Jesus, that every broken relationship will be healed, that every misunderstanding will be made understood. But what it does mean is that the salvation that God promises will be delivered and that ultimately everything will be made right. Jesus will return and wipe away our tears. Opposition and scoffing will come, but God won't go away. So we can, like David, stand in the midst of that and know that he's good. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, whatever might be burdening us tonight, whatever we might be unsure about, whatever we might be aching over, whatever we might be struggling to understand, would you help us to place it before you? Most of all, would you help us to place our own lives before you, recognizing that we need a Savior, that we need Jesus to to redeem us, that, that his going to the cross when it made no sense, when the scoffer scoffed as he was dying, was done that we might experience his righteousness and that we might find the salvation that you have promised. And Lord, may we trust in that tonight, and it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, I hope this was an encouragement to you tonight. And if it was, please give it a like or a share. You can help someone else who maybe is wondering what in the world's going on in my life. We can do that together by reminding each other of God's faithfulness and his promises. 
We have more opportunities to do that this week. You can check out our small group Bible studies. I'd love to help you get plugged into one of those. You can just ask in the comments if you'd like to. They take place online at, on Thursdays and Tuesdays. Put that in the wrong order, but you can figure it out. Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 p.m. Also, we have our This Week at Little Hills coming up for this week. Jim Crenning is sharing this week as we go through the Minor Prophets. They'll be posted Thursday and in person and online worship Sunday at 5.30. Next week, we'll be picking up this series, Sustained, looking at where we find our confidence in God in those uncertain moments. Hope you'll join me then once again at 7 p.m. If you have any prayers or questions in the meantime, feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen. I do love to hear from you. I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, and I'll see you again next week. Mm -hmm.